This morning we're going to look in two places in our Bibles. We're going to look in the book of Ezekiel this morning. We did last Sunday morning, Ezekiel chapter number 14. Uh, and then we'll be in the book of Job. So if you want to find Job chapter number 1 as well as Ezekiel chapter number 14. And if you were here last Sunday and you recall, uh, we read from Ezekiel chapter number 14. And then we went to the book of Daniel and today we're going to read from the same passage in Ezekiel 14 and then go to the book of Job. And if you are connecting the dots, uh, you can probably figure out that next Sunday uh, we'll be uh, in the book of Ezekiel again. And we'll read from the book of Noah. <laughs> I've seen if you're paying attention. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I'm looking forward to that. There is no book of Noah. But we'll be in the book of Genesis, okay? Some of you still have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, uh, we'll look at uh, that Bible character next Sunday. Ezekiel chapter number 14, and we'll begin reading verse number 12. We'll read down through verse number 20, and then we'll turn over to Job chapter number 1. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, verse 13 of Ezekiel 14, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously... Then will I stretch out mine hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land, and they spoil it, so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beast. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon the land and say, Sword, go through the land, so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send a pestilence into the land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Uh, as we look at Ezekiel in his pronouncement as, the, as a prophet of what God has said, his, he sent his judgment by the word of Ezekiel. And he references... In the midst of passing this judgment, we see those names, Noah, Daniel, and Job. We looked at Daniel last week, and we look at that, and it's one of those passages of scriptures I referenced last week. When I read it, it always takes me aback. Noah, Daniel, and Job. He calls their name twice, but he references them five times in the short passage of scripture. God had a high opinion of these three men. High opinion of these three men. So if God had a high opinion of these three men, I want to look into their lives and I want to see why, what the Bible tells us about these three men. And then if we can emulate this, if we can get help from it, if we can be challenged from it, I think that'd be a very good thing. Because we live in a day when the world's focus is on pleasing the world. And friend, you and I need to be reminded it's up to us to please God. And we want him to have that opinion. So this morning I want to, to preach on what made Job great. What made Job great. Father, I pray this morning that you would use your word once again in our lives. We need you. We need these truths. We need the Spirit of God to do a work in our heart, in our life. 
And Father, may this message this morning and the scripture we've read and will read, may it put our focus completely on you and may we consider your perspective of us, our position, our actions. And Father, may we lean on you so that we can continue to grow in a way that you would be pleased with us. I pray once again, if there's one unsaved, may they realize their need of salvation. May they trust your son today, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a quick review once again of where we are in the book of Ezekiel as that pronouncement of judgment is made. There's a line that has been crossed in the mind of God, and God has passed judgment. And there's a couple of things I want to remind us. As I, I mentioned them last week. I want to remind us again today, and I more than likely will remind us again them next week. First of all, God's judgment is a real thing. It's not just something that we read of in the past. It's a real thing. And God passed judgment on his people because of the actions of his people. And God's people had crossed the line in the mind of God, crossed the line in their offense against God, crossed the line in their refusal to get right with God. God said, I'm pronouncing the judgment. It's going to be a fierce judgment. And he referenced in his judgment, and he's saying, I want everybody to understand how serious this is. In order for you to understand how serious this is, if Noah, Daniel, and Job were alive, I would spare them, but I wouldn't spare anybody else. Now, that encourages me from a sense that you can still find uh, mercy in the midst of God's judgment. But how does that come about? He references their righteousness. Righteousness not from the world's perspective, not from their own perspective, but from his perspective. That itself is a message to you and I this morning that we should be seeking to be righteous in the eyes of God. And God has pronounced his judgment. He said, if, if these three men were alive, it would not withhold my hand. But they'd find mercy. Now, I see in this passage of Scripture that we've read last Sunday, we read again today, that there's a dangerous place that we can cross, and as a people, we can cross. And God says, I'm judging. He's going to send forth that judgment, and there's nothing crosses a point. By the way, that's why when you have a right to get right, we have an opportunity to get right with Him, you better take advantage of it. God does give grace. God is long-suffering. He does give us a space of grace, if you will, to get back to Him. And when I have a personal opportunity, and you have a personal opportunity, you better take advantage of it. Because as a nation, our nation, we ought to be uh, repenting. But there's a line that can be crossed. God is a God that will judge. But in the midst of that, there are some who find mercy. We find Job, Noah, and Daniel. When I consider this, and I consider the reference that God made to these three men, calls them by name twice, references them five times. The people of God knew the name Job. They knew Noah, and they knew Daniel. So as he referenced them, it was well established of their righteousness and relationship with God, and I believe God preserved that for you and I, for us to know what God thought of them. 
And if you just do a quick reference of those three men, and if you just look at them as a, as a, as a whole, there are three men that we probably do not envy. There are, there's Noah, we, we'll get to him next week. Daniel, we saw his story last week, and now we have Job. I've referenced this often when talking about Job, and I love studying the life of Job, and there's so many truths and lessons that are pertinent to us today. But Job is not a Bible character that we want to be like. Little boys would imagine being David and slaying the giant, or being brave in the lion's den. But Job, no, don't want to have nothing to do with that. Why? Because he is synonymous with suffering. But there's more to Job than just the fact that he suffered. You cannot remove the suffering from his life because it is a lesson for you and I. But I would just say in the midst of his story, in the midst of his suffering, there are certainly truths there that we need to know because if God made a point to use him as an example of what righteousness is and how Job found favor to the point that when God is pouring out his judgment, if Job was here, I would spare him because of his righteousness. So as I think of that in the mind of God, I know that Daniel was great in the mind of God. I know that Noah was great in the mind of God. I know that Job was great in the mind of God. I think it would do us well this morning to look at what the Bible says and understand what made Job great. I'll just kind of give a little spoiler alert from the beginning. It wasn't his social media following. It wasn't his popularity. But there are some things that made him great. And this morning, I want you to give me your attention. These are life-changing truths we're going to see, but they're more than that. They're life-preserving. Job, we can read the end of the story, but if Job had done things a little bit differently, if he had approached situations differently in ways that you and I tend to approach them, there would not have been a happy ending, if you will. But there's some truths that preserved his life. If they preserved his life, they'll preserve my life, your life, and it'll also be pleasing unto God. Let's notice what made Job great. First of all, this morning, number one, I want us to look at Job chapter number one. And I want us to see, first of all, verse number one, and we'll see verse number five. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Verse number five, and it was so when the day of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning, referencing his children, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. What made Job great? Let me say number one, he prioritized God in his life. In the life of Job, Job was not number one. In the life of Job, Job's wife was not number one. And oh, this is just going to do it in 2023. In the life of Job, his children were not number one. God was number one. He had the priority. Let's look at the evidence of this. Verse number one, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. Uh, Talking about meaning he was moral in every area. He had the highest character that any man could have. But we live in a day when we, we de-emphasize the things that ought to be emphasized. And I still think it's important that you and I have character. 
that we have Bible character, that we do the right thing. We, we like to, 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 to create and revisit and, and make circumstances that give us a loophole of doing the right thing. But Job was upright, perfect, complete in his life. He had the highest character. Now, you cannot have that character without spending time with God. You cannot have that character without a relationship with God. Notice what else verse number one says. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God. He had a respect and a reverence and an admiration for God. You know what's missing in our nation today? A fear of God. You know what's missing in our churches today? A fear of God. There's a lot of nonsense that goes on the platform of churches that wouldn't go on if we actually feared God. You know what we're missing in our Christian homes today? The fear of God. We, we, we don't fear Him. He had a fear of God. What does that mean? That means if God says something, He believed it. He believed that God was worthy of that respect and God was worthy of that adoration and God was worthy of that uh, worship, if you will. He feared God. He didn't want to do anything to displease God. He feared God. How do you do that? We spend time with God. We listened in our Sunday school lesson this morning. When Moses was in the presence of God, he fell on his face. You know why Christians don't fear God? They don't spend time with him. You know why there's Christians today, they don't, they don't think that God means what he says. You know, there's a society today that they laugh off the word of God. He doesn't, they, don't, they don't know him. They don't spend any time with him. Because if you spend time with God, when you read what God says, oh, it becomes a priority in your life. He feared God. What else does the Bible say about Job? When they feared God and eschewed evil, that word eschewed means to avoid, to flee. He didn't, not only did he not participate in evil, that which would, sin would harm another individual or, or sin against somebody, he avoided evil, he, uh, he fled from it. He was so, why, why would you make such an effort to be away from anything that would be considered evil? He had such a priority in his life of God that he didn't want to be associated with anything that he shouldn't be associated with. He didn't want to be associated with anything that would bring a reproach to the name of God. I think we all could agree, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us this morning, that we need a revival of that amongst God's people to say, I don't want to be associated with anything that would dishonor God's name. He avoided. Well, I wasn't part of Are you avoiding it? Stay away from it. He avoided evil. How could, why did you do that? Because God's first. He's the priority. Now, hear me when I say this morning, not everybody makes God the priority. You can be saved, a child of God, and God not be your priority. Now, that don't make sense, but it's possible. Because we allow other things to take the place of God in our life. God was his priority. Now, as I preach this morning, I remind us of the greatness of Job. Let me remind you what God thought of him. As God says, I'm judging a nation. If Daniel was alive, and Noah was alive, if Job was alive, I think enough of him that I would spare him. 
Why is it God was Job's priority? And by the way, if you know the story of Job, you, you, you understand what Job's going to go through. If you don't understand the, the story of Job, we'll see in a moment the suffering and, the, and what he goes through. He never would have been able to endure if God wasn't already his priority. And, and please listen to me this morning. Let me help you. Uh, young people and young adults and young couples and, and everybody else, there's some things in the future you're going to face you don't know you're going to face. If God's not your priority now, you'll not survive it. Well, I'll make you my priority one day. You better make him your priority now. Hey, you know why you came to church today? Because he's a priority. God needs to be a priority in your life. I see that. That's what made Job great. He was a priority. Look at verse number five that we read. Now, his sons and his daughters, we see them, about them in two, verse 2, 3, and 4. And, and they leave, and when, when the days of their feasting were going about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt, burnt offerings. He offered them to God, not as a sacrifice, but, you know, he offered them, sanctified them. It says that he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them. Why? It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Not only did Job offer a sacrifice, a burnt offering for himself, which was important, he would offer them for his children just in case there was something in their heart between them and God. That's a priority, don't you think? It's a priority for our mindset to be that my home has got to be pleasing to God. My children, I don't want anything between them and God. It's a priority for Job to take time in his own day to offer a sacrifice for his own sins, to make sure that his relationship with God is right. But we know he had 10 children, and so it wasn't just a sacrifice for himself. that He offered a sacrifice for each of his children, just in case. Pastor, I don't have time for all of that. We don't even have to build an altar today. We don't even have to offer a, a sacrifice on it. We can just simply get on our knees and say, dear God, you know what it will take for you to make sure on a daily basis that your heart is right with him? Priority. If the priority is right with your home, you can find time to pray for your children. You can find time to bring them to Sunday school. You can find time to have them under the word of God. You can find time to make sure the priority is right in your home. Job set the agenda. Job set the priority. And I believe it pleased God because he prioritized God in his life. Let's be very helpful. I hope it's helpful, but very practical this morning. Your schedule and your budget tells you where God is in priority. Your schedule and your budget tells you where your priority is with God. If he's not in your schedule, is he really a priority? Well, Pastor, we're busy. Oh, I know. You may have to cut something out to give God the priority. 
Friend, don't get upset at me this morning. I'm trying to help us. God thought highly of Job to the point, hey, our nation, let me just, let me just get cut to the chase this morning, is under the judgment of God. We can, we can, and I pray that, that things change in the next year and two years or the next election cycle, but there's no guarantee anything's changing ever again because we very well may be under the judgment of God. See, Pastor, how can you say that? We murder millions of babies. There's still a discussion about it. We deny God and his creation of male and female. We make a mockery of the home and the sanctity of marriage. We put Hollywood on a pedestal, and it's just a vile uh, place of wickedness. We are under the judgment of God. What can my family... Pastor, you're not encouraging me. I'm telling you the truth. But here's the encouragement. When God poured out his wrath on his people, he said, if Noah was here, I'd spare him. If Job was here, I'd spare him. If if Daniel was here, I'd spare him. So maybe you and I in our homes can find mercy and grace in the midst of God's judgment. It's about time God's people put God as their priority again. Well, I have a conflict with this church event with something else. Well, what's your priority? What's the priority? Well, in, in, in my, I have this hobby that costs me this, and so therefore, to, to, to tithe and to give to the work of God, there's a, what's your priority? Job's priority was God. I'm going to move off of number one, but I see what makes, made Job great was he prioritized God in his life. Number two, I want you to look at the same chapter, chapter number one. Let's go to the end of the chapter. While you're turning there in verse 20, 21, and 22, I'm going to summarize as quickly as I can because i got a lot to get to still. Satan, the great accuser, goes into the presence of God and accuses God's children. God brings up Job. That, that's, just an, that, that, that's even an amazing thought to me. When Satan's saying, this one's doing this, and this one, this one, this, all your children, God says, have you considered Job? And then Satan's response was, well, the only way he's the way he is because you've been so good to him. God says, okay, I'll remove my hand of protection. You just can't take his life. And so at the end of this chapter, we find out Job. Job was, was, had great wealth. He loses all of his wealth and it's the lives of his ten children in an instant. One messenger after another messenger after another messenger. What was his response? Look at verse number 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. The second thing I see that made Job great is he trusted God when he didn't know the whole story. He trusted God when he didn't know the whole story. We know the whole story. We know that God was putting Job in a place to honor God. We know that God was putting Job in a situation to disprove Satan. We know the whole story. Job didn't know it. 
Job was faced with a situation he could not reason. There's no understanding for why God would take all of your wealth. Allow the lives of your ten children to be taken. Now I remind you what we've already established in number one. Job's priority was God. Job had the best relationship with God, I believe, on the planet at that time. And now in an instant, when he's serving God, when he's doing what he's supposed to do, he loses his wealth, his servants, and all of his children. His first response is he fell down upon the ground and worshiped. He charged God not foolishly. He trusted God when he didn't know the whole story. See, there were things that Job didn't know. Why is it that when we're faced with things that we don't understand, we want to charge God, we want to refuse to trust God, Well, I just don't understand. You don't know the whole story. Why did God allow this? You don't know the whole story. Let me help you very practically because really just the statement of number two ought to just really settle into us. He trusted God when he didn't know the whole story. No matter what you face in your life, no matter what you're facing today, you don't know the whole story. Well, well, so-and-so, you don't know the whole story. Well, I just feel it. You don't know the whole story. Job had a better relationship with God than any man, and he did not know the whole story. God allows things to go in our life. This, friend, is not the only time I believe this has ever taken place. It's not the only time Satan's ever come in and God said, have you considered? It's not the only time of testing. God allows trials and circumstances and things to come because God is doing something. What should we do? Trust him? It's easy to say this morning. Job did it having lost more than you and I will ever lose. His first response was to trust God when he didn't know the whole story. Let me give you some very good counsel this morning. Don't fill in the blanks in the story of your life. Well, I don't know why God did this, so I'm just going to fill in the blanks of why he did it. I'm going to fill in the blanks of what's supposed to take place. Friend, you and I don't, if you had told Job, if you could time travel today and go back and say, Job, let me help you out. The Bible's going to be complete. You're in it. Let me tell you why this is going on. Let me tell you why it's happening. Job wouldn't believe you. He wouldn't believe you. There's no way for him to understand. Just like in your own life sometimes, there's no way for you to understand why God would allow certain things to take place. On this side of eternity, you may never know. But there is more to the story. There is a reason. There is a purpose. We need to spend less time trying to figure out what God is doing and acknowledge that when God does it, I'm just going to trust you when I don't know the whole story. That's hard. That's tough. His first response 
was to fall on his face and worship God. Is that our first response? When there's something that comes into our life that we don't understand? Is that our first response? We're starting to get an idea of why God would hold Job. And say, if Job was here, I'd spare him. We're starting to get an idea of why God thought so highly of Job. And by the way, you're not able to do number two if if you're not doing number one. Because God God was a priority. Job knew God. Job trusted God. And he trusted God when he didn't know the whole story. Friend, there's more to the story than you and I understand. We don't understand why God does things. And can I just say it's not for us to understand? It's for us to trust Him. We need to quit looking for explanations and just trust God. Pastor, I got it all figured out. Maybe. Maybe God has revealed to you why he's allowed certain things, but maybe not. The point is, God's never changed who he is. And Job just decided what he didn't know the whole he, he trusted God. I said number three this morning. If you'll turn to the end of the book of Job to chapter number 42. And while you're turning there, let me give you the third thing, I, the reason I see of why Job was great in the eyes of God was he didn't get bitter at the actions of others. We come to the end of Job's story, if you will, the last chapter of the Bible. God has dealt with Job. Job had some pride that God dealt with. Job had some friends. He even referenced them in chapter number 16, 1 and 2 as miserable comforters. I, I know some Baptist brethren who have taken up that ministry of being miserable comforters. But just to summarize the miserable comforters, Job's friend, at first they did okay. They just sat with him. Job's going through a hard time. Job's lost everything. We don't know what to say to him. We're just going to go be with him. So far, so good. But then the envy that had been in their heart of Job began to surface. Same play, different actors. Nothing new under the sun. Then then they begin to judge Job by their own hearts. Nothing new under the sun. They they begin to, to say, well, how could this have happened to Job? Now, bear in mind, we've already established Job had the best relationship with God of any man on the planet. God was his number one priority. I think if God had said, give me all your wealth, Job would have gave it. I believe he thought that highly of God. But now it's coming to, this is why you're going through this. There's sin in your life. This is why you're going through this, because you have not been sincere in your walk with the Lord. Friend, can you think of anything more hurtful at this time in Job's life than that? And by the way, let me just interject in here. Don't be in that ministry of, let me tell you why you're going through, because let me help you with something. You don't. 
Um, we can sit with them and love them, but you don't know why something's taking place. But you know what it is? They were judging Job by their own heart. They had watched God bless Job, but you know what? They didn't want to do what Job did. Well, you've got sin. Be very, very careful of judging while somebody's going through something. Well, I know, I know their past. God's judging them. Even if you do know their past, you don't know that God's judging them. But anyway, he... He goes through all of that. Let me get to chapter number 42. Let's read beginning with verse number 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as thy servant Job hath. Well, he rebukes them. And I'll just interpret that this morning in layman's terms, he says, you guys didn't know what you're talking about. And by the way, when you speak for God, you might want to know what you're talking about. Verse number eight, therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. Now, he's saying, I'll accept the sacrifice on your behalf for your wrong, but I'm not taking the sacrifice from you. Job can offer it on your behalf, and I'll accept it from Job. That's quite a statement right there, isn't it? But let's not miss verse number 10, because I remind you, number three, I said, the thing that I see that made Job great, he didn't get bitter at the actions of others. Look at verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he gossiped about his friends. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he blamed his friends. When the, and the Lord turned a captive of Job when he made passive-aggressive posts on Facebook. I think you're getting the point. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. What made him great? Because he didn't get bitter at the actions of others. Friend, you and I need to avoid something that we just referenced, those miserable comforters. We need to avoid being the people that kick dirt in the face of those that are already down. That, that's a whole message in itself. But if that happens to you, let's handle it in a way that would be pleasing to God. He didn't get bitter. Hear me very, very well. And this is where these life-preserving truths come into play. And I hope you listen to me this morning. There are more Christians that get away from the will of God by, by bitterness than alcohol. Bitterness than Hollywood. Bitterness than anything you can name. Bitterness has claimed more Christians and cast them aside than probably anything I can think of. Well, Pastor, you don't understand what they did. I don't have to understand what they did. I know that we are to forgive. 
We are not to be bitter about it. And friend, if you're still revisiting what somebody did five, six, seven, eight, 10, 20 years ago, the problem is not with them. The problem is you're in your own heart. Say, Pastor, I didn't expect this on a Sunday morning. We have got to see in the midst of judgment what is going to get God's attention. And God said he turned to captivity when he prayed for his friends. Now, I can preach this this morning because it's Bible. I can preach it because I know what it's like to be down and have people kick dirt in your face. I can preach it this morning because I can say to God's glory, I don't have any bitterness in my heart. I don't have any anger in my heart. I could honestly say by the grace of God and with God's help, I could help somebody who's tried to hurt me. I've done it. I could stand here this morning and tell stories. This is not to give me any credit, but let me tell you how I did it. Prayed for his friends. I'm going to be very personal. I'm going to be very pointed in this point, and then I'll be sweet at the end, okay? His friends wronged him. His friends accused him. His friends misjudged him. His friends criticized him. If the Bible records to us what they said to his face, can you imagine what they said behind his back? What did Job do? Verse number 10, he prayed for his friends. Well, I forgive when they say they're sorry. There are some times they can say they're sorry, and you cannot find it in your heart to forgive. So you know what you better do? You better pray for them. When somebody makes statements, well, I just can't get over it, or they bring up something over and over again, that tells me you're bitter. How do you get over that? You've got to pray for them. Pastor, you know how hard that is? Yes, I do. This is why, and again, this is the pointed part. When I hear, well, you know, I, 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 let me just say this. If you're bitter at somebody, I don't trust your prayer life. If you're bitter and you don't have forgiveness in your heart, I don't trust your prayer life. Because let me make a, a statement here that we need to be reminded of. Bitterness blocks communion with God. It blocks communion with God. You realize there's things in this Bible that... God says that if you're guilty of, he won't hear you? That you need to get right with? Will you allow me to give personal testimony this morning? There are times in my life when I've gone to the Lord in prayer, and I know what was in my heart. And it's hard to get over. It's hard to not think about it. But the Spirit of God wouldn't let me pray about anything else until I dealt with that. There are things I could not get an answer for my prayer until I got that taken care of. Job prayed for his friends. Let's be honest this morning. If Job had been bitter, could you understand that? We'd probably start a Facebook group praising him. It's about time somebody stopped taking this. We would have judged, why, we get bitter for less? We can't have unforgiveness for less? 
hey, this morning I'm trying to help us. When, the, when God in heaven is judging a whole nation, he says, I would, I would, I, I, I'm not going to stay in my hand. There's nothing that can turn this back. But if Job was here, I'd spare him. That gets my attention. What did Job do? How did he live that made him so great in God's eyes that in the midst of his wrath, he, he forms a, a hedge of protection. He would hold, form a hedge of protection to spare him. That even in the midst of others doing him wrong, he prayed for them. Here's a challenge this morning that I hope you'll take me up on. That person who's wronged you, that person who's, who's done you wrong, that person who was not there for you when they should have been there for you, that person who has worked against you, put them at the top of your prayer list and pray for them. And pray for them. And pray for them. Well, I just don't know that I can do that. Well, then... Before you can pray for somebody else, you've got to make sure that that which is in your heart doesn't prevent you from having that communion with God. I'm convinced of this. We would have revival in our churches a lot faster if we'd lay bitterness at the altar than if Donald Trump was president. What we need is we need to get rid of the bitterness. Job would have never recovered if he had not got rid of the bitterness out of his heart. Who is it you haven't forgiven? Who is it that's wronged you? That when their name comes up, well, let's let me tell you. How are you going to get over that? You've got to pray for them. See, if you've got unforgiven, this is just the harsh reality of, of truth that we need to hear this morning, I need to hear it, you need to hear it, that if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you don't have a prayer life. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, you don't have a prayer life. Because the Holy Spirit of God, I know, brings conviction when we're not right. It's the Holy Spirit who goes on our behalf. It's the Holy Spirit who brings conviction to our own heart. And I don't think I'm the exception this morning that if I go to pray, the Lord brings up that. Now, I can harden my heart to it. But what made Job great is he didn't get bitter at the actions of others. And then number four. It's going to get better, I promise. He finally, or he finished, despite overwhelming adversity. Chapter 42, verse 12 through 17. Let's read these verses and I'll almost be done. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemimai and the name of the second Keziah and the name of the third Karen Hapak. And all the land where no women found so fair as the daughters of Job and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died, being old and full of days. Verse number 12 is, to me, just a powerful verse, and it's just a picture of the graciousness and goodness of God. 
So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. I want you to think back to what probably seems like an hour and a half ago. When we talked about the beginning of Job, how God had blessed him, his wealth. He went through great adversity in the end. God blessed the latter more than the beginning. Gave him twice what he had. You know why? He finished. When he lost his wealth, he didn't turn his back on God. When he lost his children, he didn't quit. When his wife questioned him, he didn't quit on God. When his friends came to him and accused him, he didn't turn his back on God. Now, Job didn't do it perfectly, and Job is flesh and blood like you and I, but Job didn't quit. Can I tell you the difference in the Lord blessing the latter that he did at the beginning is finishing? Pastor, what, what, is the, what is the secret to getting all the way through? And what is the secret to getting through uh, the, 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 the trial and the tribulation and the difficult times? Just determining to go one more day. And I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. God has been good, too good to me. And if this is it, if this is over, then so be it. It's what God has established. And just don't quit on God. Many miss out on God's blessings because they quit. If you lose your job, don't quit on God. If you lose your friends, don't quit on God. If people wrong you, don't quit on God. If you're betrayed, don't quit on God. If you lose your health, don't quit on God. If you're in a spiritual battle, don't quit on God. If you have heartache this morning, don't quit on God. Boy, if you face the death of a loved one, don't quit on God. If life happens, the difficulty of life happens, don't quit on God. Make Him the priority in your life when heartache and tragedy and circumstances come. Remember, you don't know the whole story. Trust Him when you don't know the whole story. Forgive those who have wronged you because bitterness will derail you. Unforgiveness will take you out of the fight. It will keep you out of the fellowship with God and just determined to finish. Job did not know what God was going to do at the end. How many times do you think Job quit in his mind while he was in that ash heap? I don't know, but I guarantee in his mind he quit. But it didn't translate into his actions. How does that happen? God was his priority. You're going to make God your priority now because when difficult times come, you're going to have a lot of distractions. And those hardships have a way of just stripping us down of everything that doesn't matter and all we have is God. But it's during those times we find all we need is God. God, uh, Job lost all of his material things, but he was still wealthy. Why? Because he had God. And if you've got God, God can give you everything back. God can restore relationships. But there are some keys there 
No wonder, in my mind, why God thought Job was great. I'm not sparing this land, but even if Job was here, now I'd spare him, but it wouldn't save anybody else. Why is that? Because when Job didn't know the whole story, he still trusted God. Because when others did Job wrong, he let God work it out. He let God take care of it. He forgave them. How could you forgive somebody? He prayed for them. I'm convinced in my mind this morning, I'm convinced in my mind that when the invitation begins, there's some of God's people this morning that need to rearrange their priorities I commend you for being in church this morning. You should be. But what in your life has the Spirit of God spoken to you about that's not a priority? Think of your budget and think of your schedule. Is God the priority? I'm convinced this morning, as sure as I'm standing here, there are some, you're facing some things in your life, and you're wondering, I don't, I don't understand. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to follow the example of Job and just trust him. I promise you God knows what's going on. You don't know the whole story. God hasn't forsaken you. God's, God, God, God's not judging you. God, God has not turned his back on you. You trust him this morning. When the invitation begins, I know. I know because I know enough about people that there are some in the service this morning. You need to lay some unforgiveness on the altar. You need to ask God to deliver you from your bitterness. Because see, bitterness corrupts you from the inside out. By the time you can see it on the outside, the inside's corroded. It's done. You better deal with it when that root is just getting planted. So how do I do it? Start praying for those who've wronged you. Well, you don't know it. Well, I can tell you're not praying for them. And then what do we do? So, Pastor, I... If I could pray, if I could, if I could pretend to be Job for a minute, and he was sitting in the congregation, and it was his story, say, "I miss my ten children." I understand that, but don't quit. It's hard. Don't quit, Job. I wouldn't take time to look at this moment. Job lost his health and all this, but he didn't quit. Don't quit. Determine the day you're not going to quit on God. Let's finish. Our family needs us to emulate what Job did. Our nation, our world, if not today, will face the judgment of God. If it takes place in my lifetime, and I do believe that we're under the judgment of God, but not as severe as it could be, May God look down and may he look at a group of people, the Emmanuel Baptist Church, and may he see the same things in us as he saw in Job. May he look at your home. May he see the same things in your home that he saw in Job. May he look in your heart. May he see the same things in your heart that only he could do in your heart. That he sees in the heart of, they saw in the heart of Job. Father, I pray this morning that you'd use your word, use your 